Hi everybody, JP here. After this week's regular episode of the podcast with Dr. Mike Lawton talking about technical excellence in neurosurgery, we thought it only fitting for Hell Week to cover the place where it all happens, the operating room. So if you haven't heard Dr. Lawton's episode yet, please go back and give it a listen. It really will contextualize and inform what we're talking about here today with the do's and don'ts of scrubbing in the OR. Now let's get to it. Welcome to Hell Week. Welcome to the Nursery Podcast and welcome to Hell Week. This is our new series that JP and I put together for rising interns and actually for anybody who's interested in our training programs. This is a consolidated series to try to get you ready, all the things you need to know in order to be a training neurosurgeon. Hi everybody, JP here. The usual disclaimers. The information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. The opinions expressed are our own and don't reflect those of any institution or professional organization. But perhaps most importantly, we're going to loosen up a little for this series. So expect some constructive advice, some controversial stories, but most importantly, get ready to learn. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast with another episode in our Hell Week series, the instructional course for rising interns this year, starting on July 1st, 2020. Today's topic is going to be a very important subject, um, scrubbing in the OR, the do's and the don'ts. Obviously, programs will vary across the country, but no matter where you are, if you're an intern, you will be getting into the operating room this year and you will be scrubbing with your attendings. Um, depending on where you went to medical school, your level of experience in the operating room and therefore your level of comfort with this whole process will vary greatly. So uh, strap in, stay tuned. We're going to have some high level advice for you on how not to make a fool of yourself in the operating room. All right, JP. So I've been waiting to do this episode because, of course, the action happens in the OR. And I'm just going to offer a little shout out to uh, one of my mentors, my former housemate at Stanford University undergrad. Uh, and medical school um, as well, Stephen D. Chang. Stephen was a wonderful young man from Punahou, Hawaii. He went to college at Stanford. I had the luck of being in the same house as him for a year at the old DU house. And then he went to medical school at Stanford. I was two years behind him. Stephen is one of the smartest people you will ever meet. Anybody who knows him knows this. And Steve took me under his wing. And one of the reasons I'm so successful in neurosurgery clinically is because when I was a first, second, third, fourth year medical student, Steve would take me under his wing. So when he was a a second year student, I was, uh, I'm sorry, when he was a third year student, I was a first year student. And when I was a third year student, he was a resident at Stanford and he taught me all the tricks. So with that, um, I'm going to say that the OR will make or break you. And there's key points about when you go to the OR, how you do it, and, uh, and how you behave there. So, um, JP, let me ask you a quick question. How, what do you think is the first and most important thing you do uh, when you go to the OR, at least at the initial stages? Yeah, well, I mean, that's an easy question um, because the first thing you do is walk in the room. And, and in fact, uh, we should break this down into the stages, you know, getting in, what you do while you're in there, and then getting out, which is especially important as an intern. So I remember when I was a first-year medical student at Miami, and I started working with you, Dr. Wang. 
um, you taught me a few life lessons that I will never forget about how to appropriately enter an operating room. Um, you taught me both for while I was in Miami and when I went away on my externships, when you walk in the room, obviously don't interrupt if it's a tense moment, but take a moment to introduce yourself to the staff. They don't know who you are. They've never met you. They don't know if you're supposed to be in there or not. So say hello, let them know your name, walk over to the board, write your name on the board with everyone else's. And if you're going to scrub, put your glove size up to help the, uh, to help the staff. Um, another key point that I, uh, I often reminisce about when I was down there with you, Dr. Wang, is when you're scrubbing in. Uh, rising interns, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're scrubbing in alongside the attending, this is a great opportunity to have a little FaceTime, chit-chat a little bit, and show them that you know what you're doing. Uh, depending on what hospital you're in, maybe people use a full scrub, maybe people use a sterilizing so solution. Um, but if it's a full scrub situation, you're standing there next to the attending, uh, let me give you a, a piece of advice that Dr. Wang gave me forcefully one day. Never finish scrubbing before your senior, because I tried that once and I was sent right back to the sink. <laughs> Especially now with those quick gel things, right? It's it's too fast. So let me let me break down why why each of these matters. So writing your name on the board, if you have that, like a like a dry erase board, why? The, the, the circulating nurse, who can be your best friend or your worst ally, has to put you in the computer system. They don't freaking know how to spell your name half the time. They may never have worked with you. Now, when you get to know them, it's different, right? They need to know who the hell's in the operating room. Is it some random person? Are you a rep? Are you a, are you a, uh, are you a perfusionist? What the hell are you, right? They need to know. So you write it up there. If you're a student, you write it MS4. Obviously, interns, you know, it'll be, you know, PGY1 or whatever, right? The, the getting your gloves out, well, guess what? They don't know who you are and what gloves you wear. You don't have a preference card yet, like a attending. So open your own gloves, right? Just it's a sign of respect. They, they may have opened enough gloves. You just ask them, you know, and what, you wear blues, you wear whites, biogels, you know, latex-free, I don't know, size six, size nine, who knows, right? They don't have a whole selection of gloves ready for you. So open that stuff up. It just makes life easier. And as far as scrubbing, the reason why is because when we scrub as an attending, it's different. We're mentally preparing for the case. We're going through the case in our own mind. So sometimes people are afraid to scrub with me because it looks like I'm preoccupied, which I am. But it's actually one of the few times you have the person in front of you with basically nobody else around, right? Scrub sinks come in twos. So if there's nobody else scrubbing next to an attending, first of all, maybe the attending's lonely. Go talk to that person, right? That's the chance to ask important questions uh, and have their undivided attention sometimes. Right. And to your point about making life easy for the circulating nurses and the scrub techs in the room, um, I think this is a frequent refrain we keep coming back to in this uh, mini series. But these people can be your best friend, as you said, or they can be your worst enemy. Um, an easy way to make friends with anyone in any room is to at least not get in their way, but certainly try to help them do their job. Now, if you're just you know, if you're just a raw recruit and you haven't spent much time in an operating room, you probably won't be able to help much. So just focused on not getting in their way. But certainly when I was a medical student first getting into the ORs, I would try to get there early. I would try to help people open trays, um, help them get the room set up because that teaches you how to set up an OR, how to construct an operating environment. And more importantly, if you get friendly with the staff, 
Um, you can stand aside while your seniors are operating, perhaps, and ask them, what's the name of that instrument? What's this instrument? How do you use that? And that will increase both your operative knowledge as well as your friendly professional relationship with the staff there. And most of these uh, operative nurses or scrub techs have been in a hospital for years and years, will be in that hospital for years and years after you're gone. And so the attendings will talk to those people when you're not around and ask them how you're doing, what they think of you. So the more friendly and cordial and helpful you can be with that staff, um, the, the better they'll talk you up to the attendings when you're not around. And everyone knows, especially when you're fresh out of the gate, early in residency, reputation can be everything. Exactly. And, and those are excellent points. Not only that, I mean, you know, you know, uh, Ana Sabayo, it's one of my favorite scrub techs. She's a little volatile and she's not afraid to admit it. And she'll actually, if, if she doesn't like you, she'll contaminate you. She'll, she'll get you scrubbed out of the case against your own will. And she'll, she'll not... She'll hand you an instrument and make you drop it. You know, it's like it, it, it's so easy for these people to fuck with you when you're an intern, right? So you might as well be their friends. You might as well get along. You're, you're going to be in an OR for the rest of your life, you hope. How you deal with them, there's some commonalities. There's only, just like neurosurgeons, there's certain, um, how do you call them, prototypes, right? Certain prototypical people as, as circulators, prototypical uh, scrub ticks. And I'm not even sure we want to go into those, JP, because we could get in big trouble if we really talk about that. Anesthesia, right? So learn the prototypes, just like they're prototypical neurosurgeons, right? And if you understand that, your life will just be so much easier and so much more, um, so much, so much better in terms of happiness, you know? Right. So, so at this point, we're scrubbed in, we're in the room, um, we're, we're transitioning to the case itself. Um, Maybe we could talk a bit about positioning um, and getting into the procedure itself. But honestly, at this point, you're either prepared for the case or you aren't. If you've been in the surgery that you're doing before, then you have some hands-on experience with how to get the patient positioned, um, you know, the, physically the act of moving them from the bed to the operating table, all of which can seem arcane until you've done it enough times that you understand the logic of each, of each step, you know, positioning them with the surgery in mind and the, the comfort as well as the uh, technical aspect of the procedure in mind, padding all the pressure points so that, that they don't wake up with a false deficit and you think that you've injured something when really it's just a, a peripheral problem. Um, but maybe Dr. Wang, you'd like to talk a bit about what it's like when you're in the meat of the case, dealing with, as an attending, dealing with an intern or a junior resident who's operating across from you that you don't really don't know yet. Maybe they've just thrown an intern or a junior resident into your room to cover it because the other residents are busy or someone's on vacation. And so this raw recruit intern is across from you, the big, scary, intimidating attending that all the other residents warn them about. What do you want to see from that resident? You know, one of my favorite lines comes from Die Hard 2, the movie, chance favors the prepared mind. So, right. you know, preparation is everything. And you know, there's different kinds of attending approaches, okay? And and let me just start by saying, oftentimes, the most capable surgeons are not very approachable. When I see a super sickly, sweet, nice surgeon as a neurosurgeon, 
uh, they usually can't operate or they're super slick politicians. And, and we've interviewed many of them here. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're, they're truly leadership people. But most neurosurgeons can be a little briny. We were just talking about that before on this podcast that, that in the OR, out of the OR, is two different kinds of people often. And, and in spine surgery, I, I want to say that there are very few spine surgeons I know who I respect who are not a bit of an asshole in the OR. So that, that's the baseline. Don't, don't be intimidated by that piece. I think the important thing to understand is that the OR is a very intense place, as you know. And so understanding how humans behave is important. Having a high social IQ is important, right? Um, the reality is, is that people want to contribute and they want, to, they, want to, they want you to contribute. They want to think that you're part of a team. So the easiest way to deal with it is to know something about the patient. Um, so Praveen Mumani has said on this podcast, if you don't know the side of the pain, Right. Just right. right or left, meaning you don't get to operate. He'll operate and you'll watch. And that's a very simple thing. All you got to do is know something about this human being, something. Let's say you come and say, hey, Dr. Wayne, did you know that this guy owns like the, the, the big wine distributor in country? And I'll be like, oh, I didn't know that. And if, if I did, I'd be like, wow, you talked to this guy. Right. So that's the simplest way to, to make make it make you to, to demonstrate that you care. Right. That you're operating on a human being. Step up from that is to understand the, the pathology. So you're like, oh, okay, what are we operating on? Okay. So the other day I was railing on the residents. Tell me about spondylolisthesis. And, and honestly, like it was embarrassing. I was like, come on guys. Like this is, I'm, now I'm pissed. Right. So understanding pathology. Well, if you're prepared in general, you're prepared. If you're smart, you're smart. Okay. Step up from that is understanding how the surgeon likes this done. Right. So where do you get that from? The scrub techs, the nurses, the residents, other people, right? So, so they'll tell you, no, no, doctor or so-and-so always does this or always does that, right? And then higher level than that, if you want, is to engage in actual social banter, to be able to actually diffuse a situation, to make a tense situation a little bit more relaxed. And that's delicate because, you know, A, you have to have the goods. B, you can't be distracting, right? That's embarrassing. Uh, you have to know how to conduct yourselves in the OR. And, and I don't know that Grey's Anatomy is the right way to do it, but uh, sometimes you'll see this in, in movies and uh, shows, uh, you know, and you'll see how people behave in the OR. And there is some realism to it that people can be totally focused on task, but yet have a social interaction. It's, it's a very, very uh, interesting thing. Step back some time and watch it. You know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And that point that you just closed on the, the social IQ, knowing when to speak and what to say is so crucial. And that's, that's one of those skills that I'm not sure if people are born with or if they can learn from experience. Certainly you can get better at it with experience, but I see so many people when I was a medical student, uh, students junior to me, or now uh, as a resident, when students come in and out of the OR who just don't know the right time to ask a question, even if it's a perfectly reasonable question for someone at that level to be asking something that they shouldn't know the answer to, and they're showing their enthusiasm, showing curiosity, showing that they're engaged in the case. But God, it's just the absolute wrong time to say something out loud and distract everyone. And when you're a student, and maybe, you know, if it's your surgery rotation, you happen to be in the room, you can get away with that. But if you're a new intern and a new resident, and you're really trying to demonstrate to your superiors that you're serious about this and that you know what's going on, if you want to ask a question and it's at the worst time possible, for me, that shows that 
you can't read the room socially, but also you have no idea what's going on with the surgery. Because if you understood what was happening on the table right now, you would never speak to the surgeon at that time and distract them and break their focus. Yeah, here's a, here's an easy way to do it, right? We've mentioned it many times on Hell Week podcast. Go to the operating room earlier, right? Or you need to watch what happens, watch the behavior when you're not when it's not you, when it's not you there. You're just a fly on the wall, and see what happens. It's it's absolutely it's brilliant. It's amazing to watch. I'll tell you another good source of information is the reps. The reps, uh, the guys who sell equipment and stuff, they are masters of this, if they're any good at all. They know when to say something, when not to say something. And if they don't, it's so obvious, right? Because they're cutting no slack. And so it's a, it's a great barometer. They're, they're like the canary in the coal mine. And, and that's such a good example of social IQ as well, because those people frequently have to tell an attending neurosurgeon, you're not using that right. They have to correct an attending neurosurgeon in the middle of surgery. And this is someone who's not a physician, you know, doesn't have a professional degree. They have to speak up, interrupt the surgeon, and correct them. If you don't think those people are experts at social management and interaction, you couldn't be more wrong. So exactly, they are the people to learn from. Yeah, there's so many things to do, right? So don't spend time smoking cannabis, as we learned from Mike Lawton. Don't spend time drinking coffee. Go, go go out there and see what's out there and learn. There's so much to learn. You you guys have wonderful careers ahead of you. I, I, I you know one of my famous sayings is that when I was at USC, I used to cry on rounds, and I don't cry easily when I was chief because I knew I would miss it so much being a resident. And I know it's hard work, and you guys are gonna cry out of pain. You're gonna cry out of out of out of understanding that uh, you know what we do is so precious. It's an amazing gift, amazing gift. So. You know, JP, let's move on to the next phase, which is you're in the OR, the case is done, then you're getting out. How do you handle that? I'm, I'm usually not there, so tell me. Right. Well, so there, there's two scenarios here I'd like to run by you. One is the case is done, the attending's gone, maybe the senior resident's left as well, so it's just you, the intern, alone with the patient. But before we get to that, because that's kind of the norm, I would say, from the attending perspective, Dr. Wang, let's say that the new intern was thrown into a room to cover the case for a bit or maybe had a bit of free time, so they popped in to see some anatomy, but then the pager's going off, there's an emergency, they have to do a ventriculostomy down in the trauma bay, they have to leave a surgery while it's in progress. From your perspective, what are the ways that people extricate themselves from the operating room early? How do they do it right and how do they do it wrong? So you're speaking now as an intern, not as an attending, right? Right. And, and honestly, this is a question that I would like the answer to, because sometimes I need to leave the room and I don't know how to do it without being judged poorly. Yeah. You, so so the key is, right, you've got to be honest. Right. So the worst thing to do is to be dishonest in this case. And we're going to get back to that later. For example, let's say that it's your, your anniversary or your with your wife and you're supposed to have dinner and it's 7 p.m. and you're in the OR and you know that you're going to get a divorce if, if you, and by the way, it could work the other way around. I apologize. It could be your husband, right? And right. Or your boyfriend, right? And you're going to get a divorce if you don't get the hell out of there soon and change and all that. Just tell people. Don't make up some bullshit story about, oh, I'm going to go see a consult or whatever and then disappear. We are way too smart. We're like your parents. You know, how do your parents know all this stuff about you? Because they thought about the same shit. <laughs> Believe me, we've thought of every excuse. So 
be honest. That's the first thing. Now, sometimes what you have to say is something like, I've got diarrhea right now. I need to leave. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's okay. You know, we've all been there. We've been in, I can tell you all kinds of stories about stuff like that that happened with very famous neurosurgeons. And, you know, you've just got it. And people will say, yeah, no, 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 please, you know, go take care of that right now. Right now, let's say that you don't have a compelling reason because, or, or worse yet, you're stuck in political straits. Here's a good example. Two senior attendings, or we could be two junior attendings, they're, they're superior to you anyways. They have two competing uh, needs for you. One is one knows that the other one is with you, and they want to pull you away as a sign of power, right? Mm-hmm. This happens all the time, right? How do you negotiate that? Well, there the situation is not to inflame it by saying, a Dr. X, Dr. Y really needs me, so I'm going to basically choose him over you now and go over there. No. You, you have to make the case for what you're doing. You say, look, hey, listen, there's this thing going on in the ER. Uh, it's, it sounds really important. I don't really know, but I, I, I think it sounds like I need to go deal with this. Do you mind? And if I can come back, do you mind if I scrub back in? Because that's the other thing. You've got to have a reentry route, right? You say, look, if I can get out of it, do you mind if I scrub back in? Because to some attendings, once you scrub out, you're done. We don't right. want to see you again, right? So you got to understand your attendings and watch Ask the other residents, ask the senior people, hey, how is this guy with this? You know, honestly, some attendings watch out of the room. They're like, good. You know, I want I, I didn't want you here anyways. Right. Mm. Some really are going to be taking it personally and some just don't really care. They really don't care. I think maybe the most important point from everything you just said to abstract it a little bit is to just remember both in this subject of being in the operating room, but in general for, for your career as a rising intern, just remember that the attendings are people. They're just regular people. Um, they're superior to you professionally. They're your bosses, but be it raising an issue or asking a question in the operating room, asking to leave for a compelling reason, or in these tough political situations, remember that they're just regular people. They've been through this whole process like you as well. And so as you said, Dr. Wang, don't be afraid to just speak to them honestly. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to understand that. Now, the other thing is sometimes you're going to have to take the whipping, right? Sometimes right. for whatever reason, it's not your fault. Sometimes it is your fault, honestly. Just take it. You know, we, we've all been there. Uh, it's not the end of the world. You know, get, go get a dog or something. I mean, like it's, <laughs> <laughs> life is going to be full of all kinds of hideous things that you're you're not prepared for yet. That's why it's seven years of training. Right. Um, and so then just to quickly wrap up with that more normal situation. So the attending's gone, the senior resident's gone. You're the only doctor from neurosurgery in the room and the case is finished. You've closed up, wound is dressed. Uh, what happens next? So there's a pretty standard uh, sequence of steps that's going to happen. Anesthesia is going to do their thing. They're going to extubate the patient. And now the authority and the power over the patient kind of shifts back to the ancillary staff. And you start looking to the nurses and trying to figure out, do I have somewhere to take this patient? That could be straight to the ICU. That could be to the PACU or recovery area. But essentially, once the patient's extubated and ready to leave the room, you have to have a spot to go. And it's going to be the nurses who tell you if they have that spot. Um, And so once that happens, you leave the room always thank everybody in the room just like on your way in where you're polite and friendly and you know you press the flesh and maintain that relationship thank everybody on your way out too because you couldn't have done the surgery without them and you need to remind them of that and make them feel appreciated get your patients safely to wherever they're going and then crucially kind of as we talked about again in that episode with dr Mumineni, 
check on your patient after they wake up. You're the only doctor around. You're the representative of your attending and your whole department. If it was a spine case, you make sure they're moving their legs. If it was a cranial case, you know, you do the relevant exam, make sure that they're either as they were before or better. And if anything is worse, you watch that like a hawk, you make sure that it's real, and then you notify up the chain immediately. Yeah, good points. And I'll tell you, I've even had situations, because attendings can be tricky, where I've waited and waited for someone to call me for the update. And, I, you know, it's like when your wife or your husband's waiting for you at home, they're only getting more angry by the minute, right? And I'm like, they're going to, yeah, they're going to text me, they're going to call me and all that. And finally, I'll call them. When that happens, you're, you've already fucked up, right? Do, do not do that. You don't, these people are counting on you for information, right? It's really critical to understand how sensitive this is. It's not that people are petulant. They're trying to train you and make sure that you qualify for the standard, that you can be a standard bearer yourself, right? Right. And I mean, I try to put myself in the shoes of the attending and imagine that I'm, you know, I met someone in clinic, I booked them for a surgery, I brought them in the hospital, went under anesthesia, cut them open, altered their anatomy, and then left. And I just imagine that if I'm that attending, I'm just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting to at least get the text message that says, hey, Dr. Wang, he woke up okay, right? Just the minimal everything's fine update. And I'm going to conclude with something that's not politically correct, as always. <laughs> this is this is a meritocracy. And what that really means is that the rich get richer and the poor get poor. And it's not an economic statement. It's a statement about your abilities. The people who do a good job, who, are, who represent well, take care of patients, put in the extra hours, get opportunities again and again and again. The people who do less, cut corners, lie, they get excluded. And at first it's going to feel fine because like, oh yeah, less work, duh. The only problem is you're, you're not getting what you're supposed to be really there for. You're, you're getting weaker and weaker and weaker while your co-residents are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Always remember that. It's, it's very easy, you know, in this time of coronavirus, you know, you, you see what's happening with, and, and I know it's a tragic pandemic. There's a lot of dimensions to this. But one of the dimensions truly is that some people are like, oh, this is great. I, you know, I just hang out at home. You know, I do whatever I want. I can get fat, whatever. It's the same thing in residency. Time only moves forward. It's the most precious commodity for us as humans. So take advantage, get stronger, uh, listen to this podcast, right? Absolutely. Those who do less, do less well. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, thank you again for another great episode, JP. See you on the other side. All right. See you next week, folks. Mm-hmm.